0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. In today's episode, we get into a conversation with author Julie Sedler. Her book, Watch Me, Part Dare, Part Demand, is a book that takes you on a pinnacled turning point in her life. She faces heartbreak, a job that was draining her, a marriage that wasn't working, and she knew something had to change. And change She did. In a text exchange, she was encouraged to show them her best self, and that was a step of many that led her into the bitterness of life that ultimately brought her to sweetness. Julie had to learn and accept that she was going to have to walk through fear to release control so she could trust, to stand in her integrity, to hold her boundaries, and to surrender so what she wanted could come to her. Julie is wonderful to talk to, and we ended up going long in our session together, and we're going to be breaking up her conversation into segments. There's so much to get into, so let's not wait. Please welcome my guest, Julie Sedler. I came across this incredible woman on Instagram, and I was captivated by her Insta stories and her posts, and I didn't waste any time hopping onto Amazon and ordering her book, Watch Me, which if you have a pulse, if you breathe, if you've been in any kind of toxic or dysfunctional relationship whether it's a regular relationship or marriage i need you to order this today i don't want to dive too much into that yet i want to dive into this conversation because this woman is incredibly insightful she has been through hell and back i've already warned her that we're going to go over with our time and hopefully with her busy schedule we can bring her back julie thank you so much for being here today
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have a chat about what you thought about
0: the book. See, I have my copy too. Yay. Perfect. So I like to ask everyone in the very beginning, where did you grow up? So I'm
1: uh, born and raised in Oregon. So I grew up here. So I never really ventured far from, uh, from home. Yeah. Um, But I've learned a lot that home is, um, more of a state of mind
0: than a physical place. Right. I have a friend, she told me, I lived in Oregon for a short while and I was very homesick. And she just said to me, bloom where you were planted. And that was the best advice anyone could ever give.
1: I love that, but I also have an additive to it that yeah. anyone can bloom where they're planted, but if you move, you might thrive. So, um, that was what I found to be true for me. Like I was doing the best where I was, but when I decided that I wanted to like really, truly like uproot and go somewhere else and like get access to more nutrients and resources and support, then I Mm -hmm. really could get, get bigger and do more and be more available. And so yes, absolutely bloom where you're planted, but if you want to thrive, you might have to move. Yeah.
0: And so after like high school, where did life lead you? Yeah, so
1: I went to college. I got a degree. Um, and then, uh, that's where I, I met, um, my husband and we moved again, uh, into a bigger city, still, still in Oregon, but into a bigger city and, um, started our lives together. And from there, uh, got married, had kids and did the whole like white picket fence thing. So it just, I, I kind of thought like, okay, college is like my time. Like that's your time to like meet someone. Like you're never going to be around that many other people who are your age ever again in your life. Like this is the time to go out and meet someone and find your partner and get things started and start your life. And like, I just had like that whole vision in my head. Like, this is how my life is going to play out. Like I need to get started. Like I felt like I was on this timeline and I needed to start checking these boxes. Um, and the one thing that really surprised me was, you know, I got married. I got married really young, actually. And like immediately people were like, oh, when are you going to have a baby. And I was like, I literally just got married. And so, you know, then of course my husband's like, oh, like, when are we going to have kids? And I, It just kind of came out of my mouth. Like, I want to wait five years. Like, I want to have time with just us before we do this. And yeah. we did wait. Um, and that's actually the focus of the next book that I'm working on. So it's really, um, it's really top of mind for me. So I keep kind of going to that place as opposed to this place where, where um, I took a different life path, like I took a different trajectory. Uh, but that, yeah, that was, that was where it went. Like finished high school, went to college, did the thing, started checking the boxes, started sort of falling into what I thought my life should be. And right. that's where I ran into some trouble. It wasn't really what I wanted. It's what I thought I should be doing.
0: Right, right. And when did you realize you wanted to be a writer? Um,
1: so this is actually a really interesting question because you sent you sent me some ideas for questions and I was like, I can't wait for her to ask this. So you've read the book. So you know mm-hmm. that in the first part, I talk about this person who I refer to as him. And I I... I don't really say a lot about what our messages were like, but we, we basically, I mean, like my, my phone was like attached to me while we had this thing going on. And we basically text messaged each other all day long for 10 to 12 weeks. And one of the things that he asked me was, um, you know, if you could do something else with your life, what would you do? And the thing with with my conversations with him, and it was such a very spiritual relationship, is like my intuition would take over, and like I would say something, like things would come out of my mouth, or I would type things that I wasn't like logically putting it together in my brain, and that's what came out. I'd be a writer. I'd write novels. I would wow. have like a cabin in the woods and like take my daily walks and like, and that was like. I didn't even know I wanted that. I have (laughs) no idea where that came from. I've never written anything more than like a school paper or like every once in a while an article for a school newspaper. Like never took writing seriously. And it came out and then all of a sudden it was real. And it was like, oh, Oh, I do actually want that but i was scared of it and i was so really deeply i mean i was still entrenched in part 1 so like nothing had really happened yet and so mm-hmm. that sort of like latent desire just like simmered on the back burner for a long time and then you see it kind of develop through the story like okay how how do i become a writer like what am i even going to write about like and so yeah. for a long time that uh, that fear was Who would even want to read? Like, what would I write about? Like, who would want to read this? Like, what kind of story do I have to tell that someone would actually want to sit down and read? Because I'm picky about what I want to sit down and read. And so Mm -hmm. I just assume that all people have those same high expectations. So when I brought the story out, like I wanted it to be something that someone would want to sit down and spend their time on.
0: Right, right. And yet you, so you didn't dive into writing right away, but you were into chemical engineering. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. That's what I went to college for. So, so what I'm was the very process behind.
0: oriented. Okay.
1: Yeah. I'm very process oriented. Um, but it's, it's a it's a really long story, and it just comes back to that. This is what I should be doing. I should have a job right. that's very intellectual. I should have a job that means that I'm smart. I should have a job that means that I work hard. I should have a job that <laughs> is able to provide for my family. Like, all of those things. Honestly, if I could go back and do it all over again. Like, I, I took business classes. Like, I'd rather be a business major at this point in my life like I probably would have gotten a lot more out of taking more marketing classes um there's so much more in the world now than when I went to college I don't want to date myself but it was a while ago <laughs> there's so much more in the world than like social media and marketing and right. social media and so like I would rather do that like that's far more interesting to me but I will say um my brain is always gonna be A to B to C to D to E. Like right. I, I put pieces together and I can go from A to Z Really quickly and other people, especially in my day job, are always impressed by that. They're like, I don't know how you put that together so quickly. And you can kind of see the path on how to get there because other people are still stuck at the beginning and don't know mm-hmm. where to start. I'm like, Oh, it's super easy for me. So in a way, <laughs> like that was the, that was the draw for me. I was like, Oh yeah, I get. And then, yeah. you know, I geek out about science all the time. You talked about my pretend cooking show. I super hope we talk about that, but, um, cooking is, is chemistry and. Right. I love chemistry, so it, it was a it was a good fit. Um, I'm not sad that I did it, but it's not something for me to pursue now.
0: Right, right. And was it difficult for you to find opportunities in that field? Um. Yes and no. There are opportunities. They weren't opportunities
1: that I wanted. Um. If I had wanted to, I used to joke about this. If I had wanted to sit in a cubicle and be best friends with my calculator all day, I could have found a job, no problem. But that wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted to work with people and I wanted to be more collaborative. And I didn't just want to sit and solve math problems all day. Um, and any engineer who watches this and be like, why in the world are you an engineer? <laughs> well, <laughs> sit around and solve math problems all day. um right. And that's a great question. That's a great, that's a great, that's a, I thought that's what I should be doing. And then right. when I actually started doing it, I realized I hate this. It's not that I can't, it's so that I don't want right. to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think a lot of people run into that and then they they just, they don't, I think it's becoming more prevalent now, but for a while people are like, well, I guess I'm an accountant until I die. It's like, no, you don't have to be. <laughs> for a long time, I felt really
1: locked into that. And um, part of the next book that I'm working on really kind of explores how, how that was removed from my life. So I had a bout of unemployment in yeah. the 2008 crash Um that was like kind of soul crushing uh, and then I got a job right away and I was only there for about 10 months and leaving that job was like soul crushing and that's when I really started to be like okay why am I still trying to push myself to do this thing that I don't really want to do I'm gonna do mm-hmm. something
0: completely Going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from our guest Julie. And she gets into what happened after she began to set boundaries in her life and was free of her ex husband, and how she took a step into making herself a priority.
1: I'm gonna go shopping, I'm gonna fill this house up with things that really light me up and bring me joy. And, um, you know, money was always something I was really worried about And that day. I was just like, I give zero F's. I don't care what comes back on the credit card statement. Like I have to do something to refresh this space so that I feel good.
0: To stand out on social media and the internet for a business to grow, you need branding images that help express who you are and what you represent. Being a driven business owner, you already know your audience needs to see your brand show up on a regular basis before they will trust you enough to work with you. If your current messaging is inconsistent and lacks cohesiveness, then your customers will scroll past instead of click and look into more of what you have to offer. With a branding photo session with Girl Boss Photography, you can tell your story through images. Utilizing those images in your marketing and content strategy will enhance your appearance and help build a connection to your existing and potential clients. Girl Boss Photography loves working with small and medium-sized businesses to help them grow and build a strong visual brand. By partnering with creative entrepreneurs and listening to their goals, Girl Boss Photography curates a branding session that will tell the story of who you are, what you do, and how you are there to help your clients. If you're wanting to grow your business, improve your online presence, contact Girl Boss Photography to find out more about your options with their branding packages. You can send a message on Instagram at girl.boss.photography today. Have you been stagnant in the growth of your business? Would you like to see an increase to your revenue goals? Show your clients you are an authority in your industry with a video docu-series, photography, and content strategy package with Girl Boss Productions. A video series will help customers get to know you and allow you to build a relationship with people who want to support you. Utilizing video on your website and in your marketing content, you can increase conversions by 80%. By enhancing your presence on social media and your website with updated and stylish photos, you can zhuzh up your marketing content. Giving it a little je ne sais quoi will grab the attention of your clients and they will take a little more time to read your post instead of scrolling past it. Utilizing video, storytelling, photos, and a content strategy all in one package will promote your business to existing and potential clients and help develop a relationship with clients who want to support you, which results in increased sales. If you'd like to know more about how you can enhance your business with video storytelling, contact girlbossproductions.com today. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We continue our conversation with Julie. She shares how she has hope for those who read her book and she hopes her readers take from the right things she did to the mistakes she made and learn from what she has been through
1: different and I, I did I started to to branch out and try new things and do new things and
0: so I'm um, that's that's coming up in the next book so you're just oh, jumping good. on to,
1: to <laughs> new things so we'll just table that question for yeah. another day
0: <laughs> yeah and so you're in this marriage and you begin to realize like it's not working anymore and in a sense you're like stepping into brokenness and heartache and darkness and you know you, you start to lead yourself into things w- with joy And, but I'm sure at the time, it didn't seem like you're taking time to like dance in the dark and do these little things to help find your way. What was it like in this stage of realizing like your marriage wasn't working, like the person you're here with wasn't who he thought he was?
1: Oh I had my very dark day where I had a breakdown in the middle of home goods and had to actually leave home goods cuz I'm like Kim Kardashian ugly crying in the middle of the houseware section <laughs> and I wish I were joking but I'm not actually. I keep this handkerchief in my purse and it was just like totally soaked in like 2 minutes. I was like I it's still coming there's still stuff like yeah. and my friend meanwhile she's in front of me And she's like chatting and I'm like losing it. And I, at that point in time was like totally uncomfortable with crying, let alone crying in public. So I'm like shameful behind her, like trying to hide my face. And all of a sudden she's like, are you okay? And she whips around and she sees me and she's like, oh, you're not okay. And she like pushes me back out the door. And there happened to be like a little table and chairs just right outside the door. so she's just like sitting me down and it just like, Verbal diarrhea, just like everything came out. So I think of it, you know, here's my engineering background. Like if you picture a graph, like it's super zoomed in on the day to day, like today is just infinitesimally worse than yesterday but right. in this little window that doesn't look so bad but if you zoom out and you see that your trajectory is actually like basically bottomed out and you, then yeah. you're like oh that's some perspective right like i didn't realize how good it was and how bad it is now until mm-hmm. i really that was that was the time where i'm just like and this happened and this happened and this happened and it was like there had been no space in my life to really verbalize that to anyone and then it right. all just came out and that actually um I think I talked about this in the book, like he was actually passing a kidney stone at the same, that same day. So I'm literally like getting all of my emotions out. I'm passing all of these emotions and all these things that are making me sick. And he is physically passing a kidney stone and in a super amount of pain. Um, So I just think there are so many weird little parallels um, to our story that that relationship was like really important, even though it was really short. And yeah, so that was just the pain had just become too much. Like I finally zoomed out and saw that horrible trajectory and was like, okay, this is not working. I can. And I had a choice. I did in that moment. I had a choice. I could have wiped my face, gone back to my house and done nothing. And in that moment she asked me, she was like, what are you going to do? And I said, I gotta have a conversation and I was terrified I was terrified and when I finally sat down to have the conversation I was at least coherent enough to be like this needs to be right time right place um so I waited for the kids to be in bed and we sat down and I was just like this isn't working this is I something has to be different and um, right. what had come out of his mouth as a response was, this sounds like an ultimatum. And I was like, I'm not trying to give you an ultimatum <laughs> no. because that means that you have to change. What I'm telling you is I'm changing. Basically, I started setting boundaries. I'm going to change. Mm-hmm. This is going to be different on my end. And you can either do something about it or not and it, was, right. it wasn't as an ultimatum if you don't do anything i'm gonna leave it was here's an opportunity for you and i think he really misjudged that and i didn't understand again like the things were just flying out of my mouth i didn't understand what i was saying either um all i knew was i am so uncomfortable i'm in so much pain i have to do something else so that i'm not in this pain anymore Uh, And things just sort of organically happened from there. And again, like if you're zoomed out, like I thought every time I thought I hit bottom, I did not hit bottom. And then I did not hit bottom. Then I did not hit bottom. I would consider the rock bottom to be the day in October where he finally moved out. And that was a no good, horrible, very bad day Um, in terms of like, and then of course, the next day I recognize he's out of here. His stuff is gone. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to fill this house up with things that really light me up and bring me joy. And, um, you know, money was always something I was really worried about. And that day, I was just like, I give zero Fs. I don't care what comes back on my credit card statement. Like I have to do something to refresh this space so that I feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, that was another thing that I didn't necessarily recognize in the moment. I started making choices about things that made me feel good as opposed to, Things that made me look pretty or things that made me like the the perception of other people stop to matter. I only cared about how I felt inside because I had felt so scared and angry and frustrated and lonely and scared and afraid and all the things. I don't want to feel that way anymore. I want to do things that make me feel this way. So yeah, it was like micro moments of things leading up that I just sort of like gaslit myself. Like, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Cause I was very, okay. It's just a little bit worse than yesterday. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh my God. It's not fine. And I think that's what happens to other people too, is when you're surviving, you're not looking at perspective. You're how was yesterday? How is today? I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. I'm still in it. And so I think that was the biggest thing for me is, okay, uh, I'm still in it. But I didn't, I didn't know until I, until I went out and then I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, this is, I'm not okay. My body told me, my body
0: told me. Yeah. I think a friend of mine described it well. She said leading up to her divorce was like um, being pecked to death by ducks. Like at first it's like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, yep. that's fine. That's annoying. Okay. That's really death annoying. Okay. I need pets. you to stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, in your book, you have a really accurate. Yeah. And in your book, you have a really unique writing style on the page. As we go along in your journey, you, you're given this insight into your internal dialogue along with the prose onto the pages. And I found that just really interesting and initially I'm like, oh, this is distracting. But then I'm like, no, this is like very insightful because I'm getting like the two, the what's going on, but also what you're processing. So like, I was just wondering, like, what was the inspiration for that unique typeset on the page of your book?
1: Yeah. So I want to tell you that there's like some really cool thing that I read about, but it's, it's not that like, that's just my, brain that's just how i work like i have like i ask a lot of questions and i was like okay if i'm asking questions like other people have these same questions you know when you go into type into the google search bar and you like what is and then like the top things come up it's like that that's what's in my brain so when i started writing my my rough draft and my raw manuscripts um That's just when I had questions and things, I would italicize it because I was like, this is what I'm thinking, this is what's going through, like this is the problem I need to solve, or this is the information I need to get, or these are the resources that I need to look for. How do I do that? I don't like I felt so like dysfunctional as an adult because I was like, I don't know how to manage myself. (laughs) I don't know how to take care of my family. I don't know how to do any of these things. Like how am I allowed to be in the world if i don't know these like basic things Mm. and then my husband actually was in charge of formatting the book and he was the one who was like okay let's do it this way he made this look the way that it looks but in terms of like why is it italicized and why do you have your weird random thoughts in there like that's just me that's just the essence of julie so you're welcome
0: (laughs) yeah it's great and it flows really well and i want to say like i don't typically read the prologue in books i usually skip it but as i opened up the pages to your book and i got to that very first paragraph i set it down and i looked at what time it was and i was like I regret having such high value on sleep because I want nothing more than to read it cover to cover and just let the sun come up. That's like the feedback I've had from
1: everyone who's, who started it or even finished. It It was like, I couldn't put this down. It was really captivating. And that's like the highest level of praise that I could possibly get. And to be completely honest with you, I did a final read through of it. I lived it, but I did a final read through of it. And I also couldn't stop reading. I was like, "Why are you this invested? Like, you you know what <laughs> happens. Like, you know, you know what's coming up next." So, yeah. um, I'm glad that that came through because more than anything, like, I I'm a storyteller. Like, I want to tell a good story. This story just also happens to be true. This just mm. happens to be my life, and that was such a hard thing to go through. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Good to Great. It's like a business book, but it was so insightful. And he says in there that when people make mistakes or they fail, basically that's a lesson. And the cost or the price of tuition of that lesson could be really expensive. So if you're gonna get your money's worth, you better figure out how to take what you learned and utilize it moving forward. So that was like my whole premise on all of this is this was really hard for me. Yeah. Somebody else, please learn from right. everything that I did right, everything that I did wrong, everything that I went through, every time I felt alone or afraid or scared or like I couldn't do it. I did it. I'm alive. I'm still here. I'm thriving. I'm, I moved my location. I'm thriving. You can too. Use this, please. Yes. Please. Seriously. That's why I put so much effort into it.
0: Yeah. And you talk about a section in your book where you say any desire for my husband in that moment was gone. One more nail in the coffin. Then I'd stay up while sleeping, feeling safe enough to be in my own space, finally feeling free to relax and unwind. I began to have late night dance parties in the dark downstairs. It was a time I could feel free and alive. I think this is such a luxury and a toxic moment because not all of us who have been in these unhealthy relationships can find that space but it seems like it was a time where something inside of you longed for self care and healing.
1: Yeah. Again, this is one of those things where like my body and my intuition really took over what was happening. Like I didn't, I didn't logically set out to be like, you know what would be really great right now? Some yeah. somatic release. Because that's what <laughs> I was doing. I just didn't know it. Right, um, yes. And the things that would like come to me, like the, like, it became like a meditative space. And so like I would get downloads and I would get like ideas and I would get, get things to like bolster my creativity or like I should do this. I should, this is my next move. Um, and so yes, in that way to have a space inside my house because it, I was still sharing it, that was a luxury. But what you didn't say in that is that I would take these really long walks. And what I don't know if I put in the book was I would leave the door of my house and I would start sprinting away from the house. And I wow. would full on sprint for at least a quarter, maybe even a half a mile to get as far away from the house as I could. And then it was like the switch was slipped and I would relax, and I would be like, okay, I can just walk now. I'm far away from that space that I feel safe, and I feel like I can take my time, and I can think things through, and that's when I would have the conversations in my head. I would act like I was talking to him, and I felt like I knew Mm -hmm. what he would say. It was like I needed someone else to bounce things off and process because I didn't feel... I didn't trust myself, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so, you know, in a way, like if you're gaslighting yourself or you're being gaslit by someone else, like coming into a reality and seeing the reality for what it is, super trippy situation, because you're like, what is real? What have I made up? Wasn't really, was really that bad. Like I still ask myself that and I've read this and I've lived this and I wrote this and I still have moments wrong it wasn't really that bad. Do you really think people are going to pick up this book and read it? You didn't go through anything that bad, Julie, come on. I still have moments like that. And so in, in that time, in that space, that's the dialogue is, is it really that bad? Do you really need to do something? Do you really want to blow up your whole life? And so like the first, the first part of this, I think part one is, um, the burning dumpster fire of hell that's what i named it because i was mm-hmm. i'm literally gonna burn this to the ground and it was yeah. everything that i really carefully tried to uphold just coming down yeah. it was the house of cards it wasn't meant to stay up it wasn't a solid foundation but i was still really afraid of letting all that go i because right. i had worked really hard to keep yeah. that together
0: yeah but and I yeah think it, some people i get is- that is is a luxury but I think some people in, 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 sorry. <laughs> No, no, yeah, go was, ahead. Go ahead. It was it was absolutely necessary for you to find that release. And I think often we we look at I have a friend who I I've re- recommended this book to many of my friends, but one in particular just went through a very awful divorce. And she she said part of her reason reason for staying was the judgment and the time that she'd put into this relationship. And maybe it's not that bad. It's like but you can't say, oh, well, it's not that bad that I'm being, you know, not that this is her situation. I'm hypothetical. It's not that bad that I'm being, you know, hit in, in the back once in a while. At least I'm not being dragged down the stairs by my hair. It's like we can't, we, we, we can't like, comparison yeah, is a thief for of me, joy. Like I but... didn't have any
1: physical marks on me. I was like, am I really being, just, somebody dropped the word abuse. Like, this is a, do you think you're being abused? And I was like, I still have a hard time saying that word that's still like stigma and judgment there when I talk about that and that's hard especially mm-hmm. when your marks aren't aren't outward like spiritual concealer is a lot different than physical put, covering a bruise on my like and I felt yeah. like I had like a black and white line like, and I think my I think it was known that if I had been physically abused I would have left no, no, no issue whatsoever. I would have packed up. I would have moved the kids out. We would be gone mm-hmm. moments later. Yeah. Um, so part of it is like, what, what are my boundaries? What is okay? And then that little like tiny window. Of, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's not so right. bad. Yeah. And then that like she said, that sunk cost fallacy. I've put so much into this. I've put so much energy into this. How can this still not be Right. good yeah yeah and, you talk and, about and then you blame yourself
0: R- right exactly we do the we we point the fingers at ourselves it's and, my fault yeah yeah right yeah and that's not fair you know it's not fair to ourselves to to put ourselves in in that particular well, light a,
1: a lot of my book is me owning my own shit like right these are the things that i brought in but the the reality is there's two people in a relationship and if they mm-hmm. both aren't working on it one person is is not enough to save there's there's a lot of people out there who are are going to disagree with me about this one person can do something differently and change everything And it can be either good or bad. That's the way Mm -hmm. I want to say that. It can be a good outcome or a bad outcome, depending on what you're looking for. But most often, if one person isn't contributing to do something, despite what the other person is doing, how they're trying to work on it, how they're trying to save it, it's not going to work. You are going to sink more and more and more into it. And you're going to fall farther and farther and farther. And that's Literally what I, what I ran into was I've put so much into this. I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. done putting into this. I had nothing left to give. That's where my gas
0: tank was literally on empty.
1: Yeah. And I had to go somewhere else.
0: A friend of mine's mom, um, we've kind of connected on Facebook, I've known this friend since college, and last summer, she actually confided in me that, and we were just talking randomly one night, and she just confided that she regretted not leaving her husband sooner, that he was an alcoholic, that these were the mistakes that she made, and it's like, well, one, you can't beat yourself up for it, but... I, I think we get stuck in this pattern of, well, I have to make this work. It's like if it is broken and it's not fulfilling you and you are trying to fix it and it's not giving you a solution, sometimes you have to take and be brave to believe that there's something better out there. Yeah, absolutely. I never feel brave. Even looking <laughs> back
1: on all of the brave things that I did, I still. Feel chicken shit every single day. I do wow. not feel brave. I do not feel courageous. So I just want to throw that out there. Like
0: yeah,
1: it's, if that's a muscle that gets strengthened, if people feel differently about that over time, I don't know. I'm not those people. I still yeah. feel scared and terrified and small anytime I'm trying to do something bigger or have a hard conversation or, confront someone or any of those things I still feel terrified yeah. and scared inside I have just learned to do it anyway yes for what Ooh, it's I worth love that. Mm-hmm. I just started doing it anyway so yeah. if that's you I see you I feel you I'm holding <laughs> you, you you just you just do it anyway you just figure mm-hmm. out a way to do it anyway you gotta do it scared because right for me it's not there is no other
0: way mm-hmm and you talk about interactional at a restaurant, you were giving, given a bit of an awkwardness at your husband's reaction to a situation and reflected at the moment. And you had asked yourself in the book, why am I maintaining a relationship with someone who is so unkind? And you continue to state it had given such an effect on you that it gave you, in your words, serious pause. Do you think this is maybe one of the many turning points in your life that helped you realize that you deserve better in a relationship?
1: Yeah. Like I said, <clears throat> it was, it, I was zoomed in. Mm-hmm. And so today is definitely worse than yesterday. Like there just started to be bigger and bigger gaps between yesterday and today. So, um, and it, it really is death by a thousand cuts. The The yeah. cuts just get deeper and don't close up as quickly. And then pretty soon, it's not being covered by a band-aid anymore. There's not anything you can it's gushing blood and you have to right. deal with it. It needs a suture. Yeah. And yeah, that that particular interaction stood out to me as well as the one where I could hear him screaming from the ADU in the backyard. Um, and I was inside the house and like all the windows were closed. Like there's no reason why I should have been able to hear someone in that space and i could right. hear it very clearly. And so yeah, the temper, the temper was really something where it was like it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then all of a sudden I'm opening my eyes and I'm like but isn't it? Like that's kind of bad. Like I kind of don't want to be next to someone who does that. And other people would be the first to tell you, oh, he's so nice. He's so charming. What are you talking mm-hmm. about? And I'm like, you're not right. seeing it. You're not seeing yeah. it. I'm having a hard time seeing it. And I'm here all the time. Mm-hmm. So when you get to that point of that shame or judgment or um, stigma about being divorced or leaving or getting out of a relationship, there's two sides to every story. And if you
0: weren't there, right. you don't know. Yes. You might never know. Exactly. Yeah. And you talk about experiencing a combination of emotions and state. I have a massive crush on someone who is unavailable. I think he has feelings for me too. I am married and that marriage is crumbling around me. In this situation, did you find yourself feeling trapped? Oh, so I saw your question about
1: this. And I thought, oh, that's such a great question. But I want to say, no, I did not feel trapped. That's not the word that I would use for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because to say, did you feel trapped is to say that you don't have a choice. And mm-hmm. I very much had a choice at every point that I was at. And I kept choosing to go further and further with this person. I was never trapped into, um, being with him or being with my ex-husband. It was me Mm -hmm. making a choice. I want to do this. I want to do this. And I was actually really clear with my ex-husband when we separated, like I'm, I'm spending time with this person. I'm doing these things. Like I was very clear about that. Um, he didn't like that and that was okay. Like I understood why he was upset, but I was very open and honest about what was happening. Um, I probably shouldn't have been, I probably should have had a lot more boundaries and tried to protect my privacy, but it was really hard for me. I had always been an open person and sort of conditioned by my ex to like share a lot, but he didn't, he didn't give that back to me. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice like, in the book, he talks about, you know, well, I'm, um, I have someone coming out to visit me and I'm like, what the, what, where did this come from?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, and so soon, like we literally just separate. So I had a lot of like, sort of turning points in that where I realized, oh, maybe he's been doing this on his own and not telling, I'm telling him everything. He's telling me nothing. Right. I should probably stop that. Yeah. Um. And it was, well, that was a hard habit to break, but I did eventually break that And so when it came to him and that relationship, I didn't felt trapped. What I was consciously telling myself was, why why, this guy, you want this guy, you're going to keep doing the things to be close to this guy. Like, what is going on? Why are you like, I was very aware that I was burning things down. I was very aware that I was making choices that were like maybe even more super morally wrong, like things mm-hmm. I would never have thought that I would do. Like I was a very black and white person. And in terms of cognitive dissonance, I have a, I had and still sometimes have a lot of black and white thinking. This is good. This is bad. There is no gray. But mm-hmm. what I'm learning is that the, the life is the shades. There is one black, there is one white, but everything in between it is a shade of gray. And there's yeah. something to that. And, um, so I never felt trapped. I was always very aware. I'm choosing to do this. In fact, I would say to my therapist's office and she's like, I would be like, Oh my God, I can't believe that I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm still in it. like, I asked him, do you, I asked him point blank several times. Do you want to be with your wife? Do you want, like, why are we in this relationship? Why are we doing this? And he would always yeah. come back around and be like, I, I, I want, I don't want to stop talking to you. I don't want to stop. And I was like, okay, if you want your wife, stop talking to me. Like I like really did work to put up boundaries and to like break free of that. My therapist was like, just stop seeing him. I was like, I don't want to. And her response to that was because it feels good. Mm -hmm. And at the time it kind of felt like I was being called out, but I can understand why she said that now. Yes. Because it felt good. And because that was what was guiding all of my choices at that time. Cause I did not feel good. I did not feel yeah. good at all. And then it turns into some serious back pain and a lot of issues. Like I, right. it manifests its way into really not feeling good. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, I never felt trapped. I was always very aware I'm making this choice and this is maybe not the right choice to make, but I'm making it anyway. This is maybe mm-hmm. a huge mistake, but I'm making it anyway. And there were a lot of people who, who, warned me the people who actually knew what was going on at the time would warn me I didn't care it didn't care I didn't care from my friend I didn't care from a person at work I didn't care from my therapist I didn't care I was going to keep doing it and Mm -hmm. you know what I wouldn't for as much pain as that caused me I wouldn't change a thing it needed to happen that way and I had to come to terms with Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Are there layers of being a good person and being a bad person? I can be a good person and maybe have done something that I'm not really that proud of. Two things can be true. It's probably a really good uh, theme of this book. Two things can be true at the same time.
0: Absolutely. And in your book, you state, I didn't set out to have an affair. I just had this deep longing inside to get to know him, to have my curiosity satisfied. I need to feel safe. He feels safe. I was both right and wrong. What will I be without someone to love me? And as I read this and without judgment, because I have been there and I know thousands of others have been there. And with that said, do you think this is maybe a time in your life where you had a heightened level of insecurity and, and looking for attention?
1: Oh, absolutely. Codependent table of one right here. Um I think so, so much of that book is me like searching for validation. And in the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's searching for external validation and not getting it and wondering what's wrong with me. And then towards the end of the book, it's me really recognizing that I need to validate myself internally. And what does that look like? And how can I support myself? And other people don't really matter. It's really more about coming to a peace inside myself and so yeah absolutely i mean the i could go back and look at the text messages that i had between me and him and in the moment i felt ill at ease at times with but i didn't know why and but then after time had passed and i talk about in the book like i go back and i look at the messages and like ooh these are sort of sorted. It's kind of like going into a bar the night before and all the lights are off and the twinkly lights are on and there's an ambiance and you're like, oh, what a cool bar. And you forget your credit card. So you have to go back the next morning and the harsh light of day is on and you're like, (laughs) oh God, there's awful beer on the floor and someone puked over there and that plant isn't actually real. And like all of the like magic is gone. It was like that. And so it just radiates that, like, pick me, choose me, love me, Meredith Grey, Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. vibe. And I was like, oh, I'm that girl. I'm that. I'm, I was that girl. Like, I really, yeah. I needed to feel saved. I, I, I was really afraid to save myself and to feel like I could save myself. And so I was really counting on someone else to come in and save me. And I really wanted it to be him. I really did. And it wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't in the cards, but that was his choice. He had a choice Mm -hmm. and that ultimately was what happened. And so I said, okay, I I have a choice too. And it's to go this other way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And on your Instagram, you talk about, you have a post talking about, um, balance stating sustained balance is a big lie. And this reminded me of a scene from eat, pray, love when Elizabeth Gilbert confides to her guru about feeling off balance. And the guru just smiles and reassures her like, that's part of life. Like being off balance is part of life. What have you learned with what you have been through about trying to maintain balance in life?
1: You know what? So much. But if I could impart anything, it's that so many times I've tried to make life static in that it doesn't move, Mm. like I set it and forget it. Like this Mm. moment in time is how it will always be. But it's not static. It's dynamic. It's meant to change over time. And that ebbing and that flowing is what creates those moments of being off balance. And what I have learned there is... Not everything is going to be balanced all at once and it's a lot easier if I prioritize what it is that I actually want to keep in balance and I let go of everything else. Mm -hmm. So I've relaxed a bit about certain things that used to bother me in the past, but I have upheld the things that are truly important core value type things. So balance is important because it makes us feel secure but also not everything can be in balance all the time it's just not possible and life happens and throws things out of whack and what i've learned is by creating certain foundations for myself i can regain balance or i can find like a new normal a lot easier when i feel supported so that's um Part of what I'm working on, I'm launching two courses in the new year, and then I've got um, a planner, which is like my foundation, like I'm bringing that sort of into the world. So... Um, that would be its own course as well. So I guess that's three courses that I'm working on. So launch in 2024. So if you're wondering like, oh my gosh, how's this woman doing all these things? (laughs) It's because I've created processes for myself. So there's that engineering background coming back to make everything full circle. Um, And there's no reason why other people can impart some of that wisdom in their own life and make it work for them. So- yeah, absolutely. we'll share we'll share that with the world.
0: Yes. And you also talked about an anxiety hack and you share when I'm at home trying to relax and I can't get out of my head, I put on fuzzy socks and wiggle my toes, feeling the sensation in my feet and focusing it brings me out of my head. I have to say, I tried this when I've like struggled to fall asleep or when I wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall asleep. In fact, I used it just this morning when I woke up and couldn't fall asleep. And my mind was like pew, 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 pew. And it helps me fall back asleep. Where did you learn this little trick?
1: So this was actually one of those weird little things. I have a friend to talk about her in the book where she would just sort of drop off little things for me and so when I moved into my new house uh, in the book she dropped off some sort of holiday package for me and inside was this ethically amazing pair of pink cashmere socks mm. I know I know they're cashmere I would never have splurged on that for myself yeah. and I was like afraid to put them on my feet like these must be super expensive like I shouldn't even wear and so then I was like screw it and so I put them on and I was like oh these are so good and I just immediately felt this sense of peace and so I started putting them on and wearing them on days when I was having a hard day or was having a bad day and I wore the darn things out I still have them there's like threadbare holes in the bottom oh cool um and bless her (laughs) little heart she she bought me some more pairs, so I have several different <laughs> pairs, of them. but they don't have to be cashmere socks. I actually have just, like, a pair of, like, really inexpensive fuzzy socks from Target. They just, it does the same thing, so don't, please don't yeah. feel like you have to, but anyway, that's where this was born from. I started wearing them on my really hard days, and I, I would, like, because the material was so soft Mm -hmm. would kind of wiggle my toes in it. And it would like drain, everything would drain out of my head and like down to my feet. And I was like, Oh, I just feel so much more calm. And then it became a thing. I'm having a hard day. I'm going to put these socks on. This is part of my anxiety toolkit to manage my anxiety because a lot of times if I'm anxious, I go for chocolate or I go for like a cup of coffee, which helps caffeine, which makes anxiety worse. Um, all things I've learned over the years. So it's like, okay, I need, I need better options. I need better menu options. And so I actually also have like a therapy tips bubble on my Instagram where I have real saved, which is like, here's some tips, like do this homework sort of before you have a bad day so that when you need ideas or support like it's already it's already ready for you um oh, how smart and so that's that's there as well and that's one of that's one of those uh that's one of those little tips or, or tricks where i just like okay i'm in a really hard day I can put on my fuzzy socks i need a Dead. minute
0: yes oh it's fantastic and you also state what would it look like if it all happened exactly the way you wanted set that intention one of the best ways to do that is by journaling you talk about journaling a lot in your book how did you get into it and how has it benefited your life
1: oh yeah i can't remember if this made it into the final cut but the neighbor that i talk about in part one when she and i finally sat down and we started talking and connecting over our stories which were really similar She was like, she was a big journaler. She was like, you've got to start journaling. And I was terrified. I was like, well, I was like. I'm just going to write down to your diary. Hi, I had, you know, kale chips for lunch today. I didn't know how to get started. I was, and honestly, I was terrified of like what might come out of my mouth. Like if I do this, I it's like I knew I was going to be brutally honest. And I was really afraid to be brutally honest with myself. Like I was really afraid of like ripping off the bandage and seeing what was underneath. And so I actually resisted that for a long time. And then at the end of part one, where I start talking about going to acupuncture and I start talking about having all these really spiritually intense um, experiences, I finally was like, I got to write this down. Someday this is going to be a really good story. People are not going to believe that this actually happened to me. I got to start writing this down. And so I went to Target and I'm like going through the stationary aisle and I find this journal is sitting there it's in my favorite color and I'm like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do it and so I got it and I started like kind of putting in some of those things and then on January 1st of 2020 I'm like I'm committing I'm gonna write a little bit of something every day I'm gonna journal and I get like I get like three quarters of the way through writing in this journal it lasted me a couple of months and I was like oh I was explaining to her I was like yeah I started journaling and um I was like, I really wish that it had like one of the one of the ribbons mm, mm-hmm. and I opened up the journal and there's the freaking ribbon and it's been like months of journaling and I didn't realize <laughs> that it had like the placeholder and I was like I feel really dumb now but <laughs> I'm glad that it's here and like I can yeah. use it um so the journals then when i actually came back to write this so part one which happens in 2019 i had to recreate that from what was in my memory but everything else is actually written from what was in my journals what was in my daily journaling so if you want to know how exactly that benefited me that's how i write my books that's where things come from is from mm-hmm. these journals or from my recollections. If it's, if it's beyond when I started journaling, it's my recollections, but uh, because I was too terrified to be honest. I was afraid of what actually might come out and never once have I said, dear diary, I had kale chips for lunch today. Cause (laughs) once you sit down and you like commit, like, I'm just going to let whatever happens happen. Like sometimes I'm just like recounting my day. Like these are the things that happen. And then like, it flows, like more stuff comes out and I just allow myself to write down anything. And everyone in my family knows like, these are my journals. Don't go in there, but I have gone through so many i probably have 20 journals from the last couple of years that are that's just awesome. filled. sometimes they only last me a couple of weeks sometimes they last me a couple of months i've never had one last a whole year that's how like i always think like oh i i'm not gonna have i'm not gonna have that much to write no it's a lot it's always a lot <laughs> yeah i go through them a clip so anyone who if, Anyone in my life who knows me—if you just can't think of a gift for me and you need to give me a gift, you just give me a blank journal because I definitely will use that. That oh, nice. and like these pins, I just yes. these like I can't keep them in my life. I just use them. They go, they go like that because I'm they're gone. I
0: actually use them up and then have to throw them away. <laughs> Nice. And I noticed on Instagram, you had another statement where you said, if the world was crumbling in front of you, what would you be most afraid of? Why? Do you think that fear comes from the lack of trust we have within ourselves? Oh, I thought this was
1: a great question when I read this. So like i don't put stuff up on instagram unless i've actually like done it myself so when i asked myself that question (laughs) the immediate answer was i'd be afraid of not living fully and then i was like Mm. like i always know it's important when i get it like in my gut i'm like oh okay yeah i gotta do something with that i can't just let that sit there and so then it was like okay well what does it mean to live fully like what is that so um to answer your question of whether or not it's a lack of trust, I th- maybe for some people I think the fear is very specific to each individual person. Like it'd be hard, I'd, you'd be hard pressed to say everyone is afraid of this because it's just sure. not true. Right. Everyone is afraid of something, but it might not necessarily be this. So I want to be careful of that overgeneralization. So maybe it would be important to say there's a fear there, whatever that fear is. And that is probably impacting someone's ability to do something else, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And that's why it's important for each person to go through and to do that exercise and to be real and to be raw and honest and say, these are the things that I'm actually afraid of. Because once you voice it, like if it's just living in your head, it always feels bigger than it is. But once you give it voice or you write it down or you're really honest about it, then it starts shrinking. Maybe a little bit at first, but it does. It starts shrinking. Like it becomes easier and easier to wrap your head around and, and to manage it and to and to move past it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, everything in my head that I was afraid of in terms of leaving, leaving my ex-husband and moving on with my life or getting a new job or going to acupuncture, like I was afraid of needles. And then here I am like paying someone to actually put them in my body. <laughs> that was a big deal for me. yeah. Like a really big deal for me. Like I have to close my eyes through the entire session. And then I make her go through my whole body twice to make sure she didn't accidentally leave something at me wow. because I'm terrified of that. Um, <laughs> but each person is going to have their own, their own thing. And then it becomes confronting the fear is the thing that helps you to actually live. Yeah. And some people will never be able to get over that. Some people just, they, it's too much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's too much to try and expand out to understand that. And yeah. you just, you meet people where they're at and and where they want to go.
0: Hmm. And you also share, it's not about knowing when it will happen. It is about knowing it will happen. The only thing you need to do is hold the vision. Now, this sounds so woo-woo, but the reality is woo-woo is a thing. And to me, this is a deep spiritual understanding. What was the process like for you as you began to enter this path of spirituality? So, it's really twofold. Like,
1: there's, there's the process to enter spirituality is sort of different from holding the vision. Um, I fell into spirituality and actually didn't think much about it until one of those text messages with him. And what I'd actually asked him was, do you think we're compatible? And his response was, and this did not make it into the book. So this is kind of behind the scenes, but his Mm -hmm. response was, I think we're physically compatible. I think we're mentally compatible. And I think we're emotionally compatible, but spiritually compatible remains to be seen. And I kid you not, my response back to him was, was, well, I go to, I go to church and (laughs) I didn't have any understanding of the fact that religion and spirituality are not the same thing. They're very different. I didn't, have any real understanding of my own spirit or my own being in that time at all. So mm-hmm. I didn't understand what he was saying at all. And he's um older than me. So I think part of where he was coming from was from age and experience. Sure. But the path of spirituality is is a little bit different from like holding holding the vision because I think that you can hold your vision and you can have some you can do some things without sort of buying into that woo-woo concept, but but they do go together. So it's a really weird little little dichotomy there. But in terms of holding the vision, that's two parts, because first you have to know what it is that you want. And then second, you have to hold the idea that you're going to get it, like, this is, where I'm, this is where I'm going. I believe that it can happen. These are the steps I'm taking and then actually take daily action. But without knowing what you want, there is no vision to hold. And mm-hmm. so a lot mm-hmm. of times people will kind of give that advice like, oh, just hold your vision. Just hold your vision. I'm like, um, can we go back to the beginning? Because there has to be a vision to hold. And a yeah. lot of people don't have any idea what that is. And so that's actually the focus of, of the first course that I'm going to launch in 2024 is what are your dreams? What is your vision? How do you align with that? What's the Mm -hmm. action steps? And I really break it down into here's how you dream. Here's how you do and here's how you make sure that this aligns with who you are as a person. And so it go through core values and that sort of spiritual element. So there's like three components to that. So your question is really, um, really opens up a vast array of things that we could talk about because it's not, it's not really cut and dried.
0: Right, right. Next week, we continue our conversation with Julie. There is still more to share about the chaos in her life and how she found a life she knew was waiting for her.
1: I was on the table and it wasn't until um, several appointments in, I think it was like maybe the second or the third appointment where I cried so much. It was like a safe, acupuncture was like a safe space for me to cry for a long time. I cried so much, I soaked through all the bed sheets on the table oh, wow. and yeah. the floor beneath. Cause you know, when you're on like one of those massage tables, it's like yeah. the open mm-hmm. head and like all of my tears, just like you're like, I oh. stopped wearing mascara to my therapy appointments and <laughs> just stop wearing mascara to my acupuncture appointments. Cause I knew I was going to cry. So like, what's the yeah. point? Because
0: Thank you so much for listening to Journey to the Rise. I hope you'll give us a follow on your podcast apps. You have the latest episode downloaded. If you want a sneak peek at the next guest coming up, give us a follow on Instagram. You can find our account at Journey to the Rise podcast. This episode was researched, produced and edited by Girl Boss Productions. And please remember to be kind to yourself. When you're kind to you, it is easier to be kind to others because you cannot hate yourself into a version you love. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise.